millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Just Films and That. This is the podcast where we celebrate films that we think might be underrated underappreciated or we just wanted to talk about it this week it was another listener's suggestion as alice's dad got in touch to ask us to talk about go on rog (laughs) to ask us to talk about blue velvet so let's get into it Alice. Josh. Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. It's from 1986. Mm-hmm. Spoiler warnings if anyone out there listening hasn't seen it. Um, and there probably will be spoiler warning. There probably will be spoilers, so you have been warned. Um, however, Roger Jones picked this, didn't he, Alice? He did. Oh, Roger so, himself. Big Rog. So, what is it about and why did he pick it. So, Blue Velvet is a dark mystery thriller written and directed by David Lynch. In it, a young college student called Jeffrey, played by Carl McLaughlin, returns home to visit his ill father. He discovers a severed human ear in a field in his neighbourhood. He hands the ear into the authorities, but he finds the case too titillating to ignore and starts playing detective himself to find out more about how this ear got there. This ultimately leads to him to uncovering a vast criminal conspiracy and entering a romantic relationship with a troubled lounge singer Dorothy, played by Isabella Rossellini. Jeffrey shares what he's found with the daughter of the local sheriff, Sandy, played by Laura Dern, and they develop quite a close friendship, which then turns romantic. Along the way, they find out that a man called Frank, played by Dennis Hopper, has kidnapped Dorothy's husband and son. Jeffrey wants to help Dorothy, but soon finds out he's bitten off more than he can chew, as Frank turns out to be absolutely batshit crazy. Eventually, Jeffrey (laughs) finds himself in a position where he kills Frank, he and Sandy get together, and Dorothy is reunited with her son, but I think her husband has sadly died. But I'm not 100% sure on that, and we'll get to some of the confusing elements of this film (laughs) later on. (laughs) So that is what the film's about. Now then, the reason I picked this one is because my dad, Roger Jones, has been trying to get me to watch this film for a very long time. He's been recommending it for a while and I just never got round to it. So obviously, I then started doing a podcast about films. He got hold of the email address and sent in his own listener suggestion. I thought, well, if I ignore him now, that's going to be some pretty negative daughter points for me, isn't it? So I thought, all right, Rog, time to go for it. He did previously 
previously recommend to me Natural Born Killers, which is now one of my favourite films of all time. So I was like, go on then, I trust your judgment. And he did actually leave us a little video recording as to why he picked it. So here's Rog saying why he wanted to choose Blue Velvet. Go on, Rog. Hello, it's Roger here. I'd like to talk about Blue Velvet, one of my favourite David Lynch films. His films are so beautifully shot, well-crafted with great actors and actresses. But I think Blue Velvet, which is my favourite David Lynch film, is very underseen and underappreciated. It's a very quirky film, a very dark film. There's undercurrents of the most awful violence going on. And the performances of Isabella Rossellini is outstanding. So there we go. The main reasons he picked it is because he thinks it is a bit underappreciated. And looking back at some of the history of the film and what happened when it was released you could argue that he does have a point. It didn't do, like, tremendously well financially, and there were a few instances of people walking out of the cinema during the screening, and it got a lot of backlash because of some of the violence, some of the sexual nature of the film, and the sexual violence of the film, uh, which, you know, sometimes critics just absolutely hate that. Um, so it kind of got... It sort of left a little bit, I guess. Like, obviously, I hadn't seen it. Josh, I don't think you'd seen it, had you? No, I'd never, I'd never watched it all the way through. I'd always, I'd seen it in in documentary, like, like oh, I'd seen little you? bits, you know, famous bits in sort of in, I don't know, documentaries about controversial films or ah. David Lynch films or best performances or you know here and there different different documentaries. But I'd never watched it all the way through. It had been on my you know to watch list for a oh, bit, and I'd never, um, I'd never really got around to watching it. Mm. Probably because a lot of the time when I'm when I'm wanting to watch something, it it might be perhaps like Saturday night, Friday night, and this isn't necessarily what you'd pick to unwind. Mm -mm. Uh, but that mm -mm. doesn't mean I wasn't glad to have watched it. Um, which which I think I was overall. I think I was. So um, what did, uh, oh, I mean, Natural Born Killers, you have been effusive in your praise of that I film. I so, love that film. I so really this do. Is, this, this is going into it with, um, with an almost impossible fight on its mm -hmm. hands if that is what it's got to match up to. But, we, you know, we're not matching those two films up. It's just that that's another film your dad has recommended to you. Um, but what we are here to do is see if old Rog... Not old Rog, but Rog. He's big, pretty old. He's big, pretty old. <laughs> big, big, strong, handsome Rog, <laughs> as he's known. Um, and I didn't even pay him to say that. <laughs> is he right when he says Blue Velvet is underrated or underappreciated? So let's get into it. What did you think? So, it was interesting. So obviously David Lynch, notorious for being a bit of a different kind of filmmaker. He ticks a few boxes that maybe other directors and filmmakers don't. And I think this is where a lot of the appreciation for him comes from. So some of the main things that I liked about this film was I did like how we had some very extreme people and extreme characters and scenarios against this seemingly very ordinary backdrop. So this town that you're introduced to is like on the surface, very, very normal. That opening sequence is, you know, it's shots of flowers, it's school children on their way to school, it's the firemen driving past, smiling and waving. And it's all, you know, trying to draw you in, trying to lure you into this false sense of security that everything is just perfect in white suburbia in America. And then obviously we delve a little deeper and we soon find out that that isn't true. 
So Jeffrey and Sandy are two very ordinary characters. So that's Carl McLaughlin and Laura Dern. Oh, also, I find it difficult now to watch anything with Laura Dern in it and not laugh because it makes me think of Swiss Army Man. And all I can think about is, is Daniel Radcliffe going, Laura Dern. <laughs> but after I got over that. so Cheers, two, Pav and Neil. I know, you ruined it. Ruined Laura Dern for me. Another or made thing it better. Yeah. <laughs> so, You've either improved or not improved <laughs> Laura Dern. Exactly. So we've got these two kind of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, full of wonder youngsters. Kyle McLaughlin's character... Jeffrey is college age, but they act a bit younger, don't they? They act like they could be kind of 16, 17. They're two young lovebirds, but then it's almost like they're looking for some kind of adventure in their life. And so they delve down this dark alley, uh, figuratively this dark alley, although there are a few dark alleys in it as well, um, they, you know, of, of mystery and crime and sexuality and all this. And it's kind of scratching this itch that they've got for adventure and for something exciting to happen in this otherwise quite ordinary, I don't want to say like boring or normal, but just ordinary life, you know, not much yeah, is going suburbia, on. Yeah, suburbia, like real American suburbia, exactly. isn't it? white picket fences, that sort of thing. And you get an idea that not much goes on after Jeffrey finds this ear. So he finds this severed ear in a field and he immediately takes it to the police station. And the police station is just like proper chill, like not much is going on. It's not like they're pulling criminals in and out. People aren't fighting. There's no kind of drunks banging on the walls or anything. He goes straight to one of the detectives and he's just like chilling out, sitting in his office, immediately drops whatever it is he is or isn't doing. And then they go and start investigating about this ear. So it really builds up this world of being this kind of place where not much really happens. So then when something does happen, it really grabs your attention. And, you know, it's got everybody talking, that sort of thing. So going back to what I said about some of the extreme characters and the extreme people. So Frank, who is played by Dennis Hopper, is our villain of the story. So he has kidnapped Dorothy's husband and son. And it seems to be so he can have this sexual relationship I'm loathe to use the word relationship even he dominates Dorothy doesn't he he's kind of torturing yeah, her so it's, sexually it's, it's, it's mentally abusing her it's, it's coercion isn't it so because I've got something over you you'll do whatever I want so I don't even know if it, it, it might even extend beyond sexuality I think I think there's implications in there that he gets her to do anything yeah because there's kind of hints that she's almost maybe a little bit of a mother figure to him as well. Mm, and you yeah. get the impression yeah. that possibly something really, really awful happened to him when he was a child, and that's why he is so unbelievably fucked up. Mm. And the way he's introduced to the narrative is so incredibly dramatic. Mm. You know, he comes into the room, he's already screaming and shouting at her, and he starts abusing her, like, mentally and physically, and then I think does start raping her, or at least starts, like, trying to have sex with her and hitting mm. her, mm. all the while Jeffrey is watching this happen. And then it's interesting, you've got this dynamic because Jeffrey has snuck into her apartment because they they know that she's got something to do with the ear don't they and Jeffrey because he's desperate to follow this case and he wants to play detective he follows her to her apartment or manages to get in there doesn't he because he pretends to be a bug exterminator or pest control or whatever grabs her spare key and then lets himself in so he's then hiding in the closet. So after he, after uh, Isabella Rossellini's character, so Dorothy has found him hiding in the closet, Dennis Hopper then comes and she's like, oh no, you need to get back in the closet now, otherwise he's <laughs> going to go apeshit and fucking kill you. And then it's this really interesting dynamic where he is then the person hiding in the closet, watching her, 
and yet he's the most normal person in this scenario. Yeah, it's quite an interesting exploration, I think, of sort of duality because in it starts with her, she's dominating him and she's sort of, I don't know if she does, but she she starts to, you know... Fillate. Yes, perform a sexual act on him is what I was going to yeah. say, but you <laughs> took it into the gutter once again. <laughs> um, yeah, so she, she starts to sort of perform a sexual act on him. Then Frank comes in, and the tables are then turned and she becomes vulnerable and he becomes the aggressor. And then and and then um Jeffrey comes out and he becomes the comforter sort of thing. So it's a real interesting in in a few minutes. So before I'd seen it, that was the scene I knew was quite famous, was the oh, watching really? it all through the watching it all through the closet sort of oh. I don't know where I've seen it. Probably just in one of these documentaries about about films in in general. Um but yeah, I thought that was really an interesting exploration. And you get a few of these different explorations of the different power dynamics between people because when Dorothy is doing all this to Jeffrey, she's on her knees, I think, isn't she? But yes, she has this yeah. knife and she has this very menacing look in her eyes. So you know, oh yeah, she has the power in she's this She's in control. Room. She's in, completely absolutely. in control, yeah. And then Frank comes in and she loses all control. And then mm. suddenly, and then it's... It's kind of weird then because he's in control of her, but he's definitely not in control of himself. Like yeah. he is someone completely out of control. And and then later on you see a different side to Frank because she is singing and he is in in tears, maybe not in tears, but but very much visually affected by her singing the song Blue Velvet and then he has the blue velvet rag. There's a that's a theme throughout the film. He has this blue velvet rag that or mm -hmm. handkerchief that he always he always uses for for different things. And you see different sides of Frank, you know, he's either an aggressor or he needs to be looked after. I think he refers to himself as daddy or baby. Mm -hmm. And, and he it's demands, those two things. He demands that she calls him daddy. Yeah. Doesn't he? Depending on how he's feeling, it's it's how he wants her to treat him. But even when he is being the more vulnerable side of his personality, he's still also in control because you get the impression he could snap at any minute. Oh, absolutely. And this is where a lot of the threat from him comes from is he's capable of anything. Like, I don't think he cares about the law. He doesn't care about how he affects other people. It's almost like he doesn't even really care about his own safety. Like, he will he's literally just do anything. He's just a firecracker of a person, isn't it? I mean, Absolute he's, maniac. It's all... It's, I, I mean, I'm not saying other people couldn't, but I struggle to see anyone but Dennis Hopper in that part because he's just incredible. He's very good. I mean, it's yeah, I mean, good. no one really does... No one really does a volatile, flying-off-the-handle guy as well as Dennis Hopper did. I mean... He brought that sense to, you know, even things like Waterworld and... and Speed. But, yeah, but he's good in Speed. I think he's one of the really, better parts I, of Speed. I think he's great in Speed. I think Listen, he's great in Speed. We, we all know how I feel about Speed too. So you can <laughs> bet your ass that yeah. I love Speed 1. Imagine, right? imagine how Alice felt about Speed 2, but with actual Keanu Reeves in it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then <laughs> Super Mario Brothers as well, you know. Oh what, what, God, I mean, yeah. what I mean is, is he brings a quality to things which aren't mm. even any good. And he's, I mean, he's... Excuse this, me, are you saying that Super Mario Bros. ain't any good? Are you, know, you mad? Films, <laughs> <laughs> films are subjective, Alice. That's the whole point. I'm, what I'm saying is, it, is it so bad that the studio pretends that it never made it? Yeah, some, <laughs> in some senses it is. Um, but... Um, yeah, so I mean, Dennis Hopper is is an, was an incredible performer. This is one of the things he's most well known for, and that's because it's it's it almost feels like there are certain parts that actors are, are born to play. And I think Frank Booth is, is definitely Dennis Hopper's. Um, so what? So so overall, would you say you liked it? 
So I did, I'm, I find this quite difficult to quantify. I think I did like it, but I perhaps didn't like it as much as I thought I would. Now, mm. I do, I quite like uh, violent films, you know, a well-choreographed violence, well-thought-out violence and violence that has a purpose. And there was some of that in this, and I did enjoy that. And I do enjoy very extreme characters without them becoming cartoony. And I feel like in their own right, a lot of these characters were quite extreme, which I enjoyed. And I did enjoy that on this backdrop of normality, of the ideal sort of American dream. You know, we're all just having a nice life in the suburbs and everything is nice and lovely. And I think what David Lynch did and what he does a lot of the time is he brings you this vision that you have of America but then turns it on its head and it's taking you down this rabbit hole. Hey, I'll see you down there, David. Um, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> takes you down this rabbit hole of actually things aren't always what they seem. And then, but even when you know that, it's like, oh yeah, things aren't always what they seem. But then he, you're still asking questions and it's like, okay, things aren't what they seem. And I know that, but I still don't get what the things are still like there was so much mystery surrounding this like I don't think we ever really got to the bottom of the exact why that Frank um kidnapped her husband and son specifically I don't know if it was just to make her his sex slave I don't think we ever really found out enough about the two characters the dad and the son and how all these different characters were connected but I think that's part of it I think that's part of the suspense and I think that's part of the mystery I think the music was something that was very, very present. And it was very varied from scene to scene. You would have music that felt like it would belong in a rom-com and then music that you felt like would belong in a jazz bar and then would be in a thriller and would be in a drama and would be in a mystery. There was such an array of different musical genres throughout and this was really interesting. And sometimes it was used to build tension and I think it was very successful at doing this. And then other times it would just be really oddly placed. There was one scene, I believe, where Sandy and Jeffrey are just walking down a street and I think they're having quite an ordinary conversation. I don't really think it's even about anything. I don't even think it's about the particular dramatic events of the film. But the music itself is really, really dramatic. And I was like, what's happening here? Like, what's he doing? And then you would have other instances where, so Frank takes them to his, possibly his house or someone's house, but it seems to be where he's keeping Dorothy's husband and son. And there's a few different people there and they all know about this arrangement, about this kidnapping arrangement, which is weird. And this is a really threatening situation that Jeffrey has found himself in. All these people who are, seem like criminals and with Frank leading the way, who's clearly insane. And the music's like really upbeat and like really jazzy and like you're at a party or something. So it was just this really strange, I suppose, subversion and this juxtaposition of certain sounds and images that you're getting that don't match up. And I think this is how he creates the eeriness to things and makes it all a little bit uncanny. Um, did you notice the music yourself? Yeah, yeah hard so I, not I think, to, I think so. It? It, 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 was, it was one of my main notes as well, which is I think what he does is he juxtaposes the subject matter against the music in certain scenes and it makes this unsettling feeling. So like you said, there's a huge variety of music. There's classical music, jazz music, um, ge general score that builds tension and stuff like that. There's some gospel and choric music, which is when they're sitting in the car outside the church and talking. Yes. That's, that might as be the if, really dramatic scene you're talking about. I'm not too sure. as if it's coming from the church as well, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, there's um, 
there's something that sounds a little bit like whale music. Ooh. There's something that sounds like do what music. So there is a real variety in there. And I, it's, I, uh, I'm not saying it is in other films, but nothing in this film is there by accident. Everything is a choice. Everything is that is there to be a choice. And I really enjoyed the music. It was, it was, it was quite a highlight for me because it was, it was so weird. Yeah. Like sometimes you, sometimes with music in films, I think, you shouldn't notice it because it's not there. To, it's not necessarily there to do anything. And other times, some people say if you notice a score, it's almost like it's um, it's it's wrong or that it, it it subtracts from the film. Whereas I think a lot of the time, if you do notice the score, it must be on purpose because if if someone is painting a picture as you do with a film using both images and sound, then it makes sense that you would think if I if I pick something that's really jarring here then it's going to leave an impact like that scene we were just talking about with the church and the sitting outside the church, you know, and it does make it look like, like you say, like it's coming from the church, mm -hmm. but it seems to be the middle of the night. So why would it be coming from the church? But in your head, I think something, I know something David Lynch likes a lot is, is playing with your senses and playing with how your brain works. I think he loves things like the subconscious, but I think something else he loves is your brain filling in things that isn't there. So I don't know about you, but I did make that assumption of, well, the music's coming from the church. And then I had to think, well, wh why would it be coming from the church? But my first assumption without thinking is someone's gone, here's a church, here's people outside a church, so here's music you might hear in a church. Mm -hmm. And my brain has put two and two together and got five, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I think is really interesting. It's um, So something I should have said before we started, actually, is that I'm not... Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm split on David Lynch. Me too, I, me too. Yeah, Go on. I, can see, I can see his films and I can see there's a craft there. And I'm not saying, you know, 
that he is bad or anything like that. And I'll come on to my issues with him. But in terms of the positives, he's definitely a master at manipulating senses and manipulating what you see and using color and vibrancy and everything that's on there to, to tell you a story. You know, it's not a coincidence that you're, it starts straight away with this idea of American utopia. And as it goes along, the clothes get darker and everything gets dark mm-hmm. and the lighting gets darker and it goes, it's almost like you go from heaven to hell in, in the film mm-hmm. itself. That isn't a mistake. And he very much is a master of creating those worlds and playing with, I suppose, playing with your head a little bit in the way that some of the best horror directors do, except this isn't a horror because it's um, almost, it's almost ambivalent in its genre. But um I don't know, would you agree with me there? I definitely agree with you. And this was something that I was going to come on to a bit later, but there is this this melding of genres almost where from one scene to the next, you could be watching a completely different film. And I think that's part part of adding to the mystery and part of, like you say, I think you summed it up really well. You put two and two together and you get five. And I think David Lynch would love that you described it that way because it does feel like that, like it... It did feel like a rom-com at times, and then you move to the next scene and it feels like a mystery, and then you move to the next scene and it just kind of feels like a soap opera. And it's really interesting, and I feel like it must take a lot of energy to uphold that, because it's really easy. <laughs> Excuse me, I say easy, in quote marks. But, you know, if you're going to make a comedy, that's straightforward. We know the tropes, we know when to make jokes, we know the kind of actors we want to get in. If you're going to make a, a romantic film, similar sort of thing. If you're going to make an action film, okay, let's get Tom Cruise, some big aeroplanes, and then an explosion at the end. Do you know what I mean? Like, there, there are formulas for other things. And what he does, I suppose, is he messes with the formula and brings different mm. aspects of different S- genres. Almost subverts it, doesn't mm. he? Subverts your expectations in, in some sense. It's a little bit like something like Funny Games, I guess. Well, I did think this as well, and, and I did sort of imagine that as a, as a comparison. A um, few other things that I did like. So some of the uh, design choices in terms of the setting, locations, props, and and certain things like that. So Dorothy's uh, apartment is so very red. You know, the cushions are red, the carpets are red, uh, so much of it. The walls, I think, are painted blood red. And, you know, it really evokes these feelings of passion, but then also danger, but then lust, but then blood and maybe death and all this sort of thing there was also a moment where whenever they were whenever jeffrey and sandy were walking to arlene's diner uh, to have a, a snack there was this same truck that would drive past with all these logs on the back and i, I just noticed this and i'm like i'm not 100 sure what it means and i don't even know what it made me feel but i just like seeing things like that there things that feel like they've been well thought out you know does he want us to see this truck driving past because this truck drives past at the same time every single day because this is the kind of town that that is where things happen on schedule and nothing is out of the ordinary that sort of thing on on the surface it's perfect and everything runs like clockwork but he's taking it into the underbelly isn't he exactly behind those closed doors sort of thing it's got a sort of um quite a dreamlike quality to to parts of it, which is, I know, again, something else that he likes is, is that idea of melding dreams with reality. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think that is something you get here. And he does things like he, he creates quite literal cuts in between scenes. There's a bit, isn't there, where um, he says something like, this ear was definitely cut off with scissors. And then you immediately cut to someone cutting something with scissors. Mm-hmm. And that 
in a weird way made it feel like a bit of a dream because that's the sort of thing you your brain would do, you know, when you're having a dream and, and you dream about things that are kind of like your day, but you're not like, it's not like your day, you know, you're at work, but you're actually in a bouncy castle, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's your dog, but it talks and its feet or its legs and its, and its arms or its, its legs or, you know what I mean? It's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's that weird sort of, it's not quite right. Something's not quite right, but mm -hmm. you know it, but you can feel it, but you can't put your finger on it. And that's what this film I think does. Okay, so we'll move on to talking about things that we perhaps didn't like about the film or that we would change. Um, Alice, what do you reckon? Is there much for you? Is there a lot to dislike? Would you change much? H how are you gonna? How are you gonna break it to Rog? Well, this is a bit of a tricky one because I wouldn't say that there is anything that I dislike in the traditional sense. There are a few things that I was perhaps unsure of, like I've mentioned before, like the use of these different genres of music. And sometimes the genre that you were listen to, listening to didn't quite match the action on screen. And I understand that this is probably coming from a place of wanting you to feel disjointed and wanting you to feel a bit on edge. But for me, it was just a bit... I was thinking about it too much, I think, and, and that pulled me out of the film ever so slightly. So when really dramatic or scary things were happening and this fun music was playing, it just made me think, oh, that's a bit odd. Instead of stirring in me this feeling of being uneasy or, you know, like looking at the uncanny, I just thought about it a bit too much, I think, because obviously mm. that's why we watch the film. I wonder if I just sat there and let it wash over me and wasn't thinking too much about it, if it, I would have had a different response. But I wasn't watching it that way, so I can't answer that. So for me, it was all just a bit like, hmm, that's odd, if you know what I mean. Similarly to the various different genres of film, some of the design and technical choices just felt like they were from different films, you know, from one scene to the next. It just felt all very odd. I know I touched on this before. Sometimes there were there were things that you would normally see in a kind of rom-com and then things that you would see in these horrific, violent thrillers. And the two of them together, instead of it, again, instead of it making me feel uneasy, I just ended up thinking about it too much. And I was just a bit like, oh, that doesn't match. Oh, but he probably doesn't want it to match so that we feel weird. So then instead of feeling weird, all I thought was, oh, the director is trying to make me feel weird. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? So Does that make it's, sense? It's an interesting point that, um, I suppose, speaking more broadly, that was one of one of my issues, which was it's it, it kept being referred to in other stuff. I was reading about it as a murder mystery or a mur or a mystery film. And I I don't, know if it was a mystery film i'd, I'd definitely call it a an um a thriller maybe a neo-noir thriller noir, or something yeah. like that but not there isn't much mystery in it there's no twist it's just jeffrey is 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 investigating this mystery and but there's no there's no twists and turns in there it's just everything he everything he sees is right um so i wouldn't really say it, it is much of a mystery film because i don't think there's a mystery there so Speaking broadly, that was an issue I had with it, which was because it was so ambivalent in terms of its genre, it left you, I don't know, maybe maybe it created a bit, by trying to be so discombobulating, it, it created a bit of a unsatisfactory feeling. Would you, I don't know, is that fair? I think that is a good way of describing mm. it, yeah. I felt like, even though I didn't dislike the film, I wasn't super excited about it. I wasn't super invested. And I think what how you've explained it there is quite right. I do wonder if maybe audiences in 1986, you know, a couple of decades ago, a few decades, three decades ago, come on, Alice, a couple of decades ago. It was 1992 last week. Um, 
I think maybe it would have been, a, you know, a bit of a different experience for them. But the problem is our film reading ability is becoming so much more advanced with every year. The more films you see, the higher the expectations that you have. And for me, this one just didn't quite hit. And that, that feels like blasphemy because I know that people love David Lynch and I know he is a respected and clearly very talented filmmaker in his own right. I just wonder if he's not for me. Yeah, so I, I would echo that similarly. My, I have like one issue with the film, but my other issue is with David Lynch films as a whole. Um, so, mm -hmm. so for example, my main issue with the film is that I'd like, I would have liked a bit more development of Jeffrey as a character mm -hmm. because he comes into it, he finds the ear and he becomes immediately motivated. I don't know if it's yeah. just because he's generally intrigued and that sets off the, the plot of the film. And all the investigation and all that is, is very interesting, the way it's presented and uh, all the stuff we've already talked about. But I never really saw why Jeffrey would care so much because he just comes into it. There is no exposition around him as a person. All you know is his dad has a stroke at the start of the film. He comes back from college to see his dad and then on the way to the hospital or the way to his house one day he finds the ear but there's no there's no reason why he go this is why he's so interested it's not it just well, is maybe it's because of what's happened to his dad maybe, maybe it's this kind of intense repression of Dis trauma distraction you know yeah yeah like oh well, my yeah. dad is is so ill because we see his dad in the hospital, don't we? And he's not well at all. He mm. can't speak to him. So then I wonder if maybe in doing this, it's the way of Jeffrey dealing with his emotions, putting all his investment into something else so he doesn't have to think or worry about his dad. I hadn't really thought about that before until you said that. But my thinking behind it was that he was just kind of that he was bored. Initially, I was like, he wants this to happen mm. because he's bored. There's not much fun going on. This is fun. This is exciting. But yeah, I wonder if it's got something to do with him trying to bury his feelings. It and, could and do. And, and, and his attention and I, I, I hadn't thought of it that way. It, it just felt to me like he was there as the main character because the film needed a main character through who to view the film. So they created a generic person to be like, oh, this is, this is your guy. When in fact, what happens in the film is more important and the themes than the people in it. But that's me. And maybe that's part of the wider issue which I can talk about, which is that which is that I like more character-driven stuff, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and what about how so what are your feelings on David Lynch? In so general? so I've as you've said, you know, I'm not tiptoeing around the issue. David Lynch is is, you know, is a genius. He's made many, many masterpieces, but I am quite split on him as a filmmaker because I've I, I guess it boils down to he doesn't develop much of the emotional side of his films. So I think they become a little lost on me and they leave me mm -hmm. feeling a little bit cold. So back okay. to the issue with Jeffrey, he, I don't think he's developed much as a character. So there's a bit where earlier on he has hit Dorothy because mm -hmm. he's seen Frank do it. And then later on, he has a bit of a breakdown once he's been beaten up and he starts crying. And I think the idea is that he he sees himself as, as falling down the well and becoming like Frank and he's, oh my God, what have you become type moment. But, and I got that from the story and from the way it was told to me, but I but the emotional side of it was lost on me. It just left me feeling a, a little bit, um, a little bit cold, I think. And, and I think that is, that is my main issue is because I, one thing he doesn't delve into is, is emotional depth and relatability, I suppose, whereas I really like relatability and emotional depth in my films. Mm -hmm. But that's down to personal preference. He's not the only filmmaker that, that sort of... Like a lot of Wes Anderson films are the same. They're not necessarily mm -hmm. about emotional, emotional depth. 
that's what I like in, in my films. So it's down to personal preference, I guess. Well, I mean, what about you? Because you've sort of intimated that you have a similar split opinion on David Lynch. Is it the same as me or is it something else? I just wonder for me if it's because I'm a bit more, not by any means an expert or whatever, but a little bit more literate in terms of film and film reading and, and sort of diagnosing, you know, what I'm looking at and assessing things. And so everything that he does, I know that he's trying to do it to me and then it just doesn't leave me feeling anything. Yeah, but but if, say if we go back, to, excuse me, say if we go back to something like Natural Born Killers, which is obviously trying to make you feel a certain way. It's trying to make you feel outraged and it's trying to make you feel, you know, just horrified at these things that are happening and feel this mix of kind of empathy and horror at these characters. And even though I knew that that's what Oliver Stone was doing when he made that film, I felt it still. Whereas with David Lynch films, it's like I watch them, I know what he's trying to do. I, I, I think I know what he's trying to do. Obviously, I don't know. And... That and then it just sort of ends there for me. It's like, oh, he's trying to make me feel weird, and it's like, oh, but I don't really feel weird. So do you feel like because you can see everything he's doing is deliberate, and because of your knowledge from from well, just that you've accrued through your life through jobs and all that sort of thing, um, do you feel like because you know how the sausage is made, it takes away some of the flavor sort of thing? Almost, and that literally isn't the case for me with any other film or any other filmmaker. Like I know Captain America's not real. I know his shield what? doesn't go flying around. Do you know what I mean? I know Thor isn't actually Chris Hemsworth and all this stuff, but I still enjoy those films. Suppose so there's a fantasy element, is. though. There's a more there's a fantasy element, and I, and I suppose some people might argue there's a fantasy element to this in some in some ways. But mm. they're they're there to do a certain thing to you in in terms of an emotional reaction. Whereas I don't think David Lynch cares about your emotional reaction. So maybe mm. it's that. Yeah. You know what? I'm really not sure and I can't explain it because even as I'm saying those things, I'm like, I don't even know if I know. Yeah, well, I'm... But maybe this I am, is the thing he's got us talking, hasn't he? Yeah, maybe and that's, that's it. And, and that's... That, he loves that, doesn't he? Like, from what I've seen of interviews, mm. he loves people talking about what do we, what do his films mean and all that. What does a raise your head mean 40 years mm. later or, or whatever? And for me, it is back to what I've said, which is about what I like in a film. David Lynch films are all quite weird. And for me, the weirdness doesn't ever pay off in, I guess, satisfaction dollars. <laughs> so let's move on to talk about the critical reception. And this is where we try and uh, confirm if we think that Roger's got a point or if he's talking, if he, is he talking blue velvet or poo velvet? That's what I'm wow. saying, Alice. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Very good. Now, Love it. <laughs> I I haven't seen the critical reception. You've got okay. it in front of you. Now I think it probably did. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna jump the gun and say I think it did well critically. Mm -hmm. Probably did okay in terms of the average person outside of critics, but I think it very much has probably developed a cult following over the years. So I think it did quite well critically. Over okay, overall, go on. overall. Give me a number. Out of, out of 10. Yes, please. On average, I'd say like middle, middle, low to middle eight mm -hmm. is, is how what I think. You, what would I give it? What would you give it? What would I give it? Maybe like, like a low seven. Yeah. Yeah. I like, yeah. you know, I could very much appreciate what he was trying to do. It's not, mm -hmm. this is where the subjectivity of, of films in this podcast falls down, which is it's not to my taste in the way mm -hmm. that a lot of films 
of other directors and other genres aren't aren't to my taste. Maybe that's the same for you. So I think, yeah, I, I would give it a low seven. That's just my personal opinion. But I think it probably did a lot better than that. Okay, so at the time of recording on IMDb, Blue Velvet got 7.7. 7. Uh, over on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience gave it 88% and the critics gave it 94%. Wow. That's a big old number, is it? I was, I was, I think I was a little bit surprised at that audience. 94, score. 94. Well, the critics, yeah, for 94. So, what did yeah. the audience give it? 88. 88, yeah. So it's oh, kind Rog. of good scores all around. Oh, Rog. I, so here's uh, here's what here's what some people had to say about it. So one of them said, if audiences walk away from this subversive, surreal shocker not fully understanding the story, they might also walk away with a deeper perception of the potential of film storytelling. Uh, someone said, love it or hate it, see it, you must. Uh, one said, Blue Velvet is a nightmare, or better yet, a reverie on the dark side of desire, but in a good way. <laughs> So some of the reviews are very, very flattering, but Rog did pick this because he thinks it's underseen and he does feel like it's a bit underappreciated. And to a certain degree, I would agree because I don't feel like people talk about it as much anymore. I don't know many people, if anyone in my circles who have seen it, it took him what, 31, 32 years to get me to watch it. <laughs> and he had me, he literally, he had me watch an alien when I was nine, so. <laughs> yeah, what, the, what was the, what was the, what, what, what did it say on the videotape for this one? Oh God, I just <laughs> <dread> to think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I will, I'll give him, I think, that it's, do you think it's underappreciated? Do you think it's a bit hard to quantify? It's really, it it's really hard. To, it, it's really <laughs> hard to quantify because I disagree with those numbers from me personally. Yes, but I would probably mm -hmm. say it's probably not been seen by a lot of what you might call the general public, the film-going masses. So mm -hmm. perhaps from that point of view, it is underseen. And in terms of it being underappreciated, you, Rog sort of said there that there was things about people walking out when it came out and people not really mm. getting it when it came out. So maybe, because I don't know when those critical uh, reviews and stuff went on Rotten Tomatoes, I don't know when they were from. We don't, we don't know, you know, I, I'm sure it says on Rotten Tomatoes, but we don't know. That was just, that's just general stuff that people said. So that could have been with the hindsight of knowing that it become quite a, quite a, a, a cult yeah. hit. I... I personally Roger, sorry to interrupt, but Roger is it Roger Ebert yeah. who's you know one of the so he didn't like it. He thought it was I think he said it was misogynistic and he didn't like what David Lynch had done to Isabella Rossellini. Uh, but I do disagree with that because it's it, not, the film isn't misogynistic, that it's the characters. Yeah, the, yeah that's it I, I disagree that with that bastards, because because right? it's it's not if what if they were doing that stuff to Dorothy and and it was like, look at this, it's great, isn't it? Like, yeah, isn't it great? It, it, it's, it's, You're definitely not aligned the, with yeah, Frank. They're doing stuff to it, going, God, look at, look at these monsters. So no, it's not misogynistic. Yeah. The characters are misogynistic. Like you say, it's, mm -hmm. it's not that. Yeah. Do I agree with Rod? Because he's your dad, Alice. <gasps> no, no, I, no, no I, do, I do. Do, you know, yeah. do I agree with him? No. Am I willing to say it's underrated and underseen? Yeah, why not? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was underrated. Do you think it's, uh, with, it's under, under, underseen, underappreciated? A bit underappreciated, but I think with those scores, I think it's a little bit overrated. Oh, Rog. Yeah. I'll be your daughter, yeah. Rog. <laughs> <laughs> He'd love that. <laughs> 
Well, there we go. Another listener suggestion in the bag. Always fun. I do apologise for the slight bit of nepotism, but he emailed me, guys. My dad emailed me. He went through the cha- <laughs> I, he went through the I appropriate. Let him have it. <laughs> he went through the appropriate channels. What do you want me to do? Exactly. And if you've got a film that you think we should be doing, then please, by all means, drop us an email. The email address is filmsinthatpod at gmail.com. We're also across all the social medias. You can check us out. It's just films and that everywhere you look. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're even even on TikTok. If you've got a film that you think is underrated, underappreciated, that you think we should be doing, then please do suggest it to us. They all go in the pile and they will all get a look at eventually. Um, All that remains to be said then is we are on all the social medias, as Alice said. Get in touch with us if you want and we'll try and get to your films eventually. Uh, Until next week, Alice Oliver, thank you very much for joining me as ever. Oh, pleasure as always, Josh, and thank you. And it's goodbye from me. Cheerio. Bye. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.